1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Resource Real Talk about Louisville Real Estate. I'm Gabe Pruitt. And I'm Jay Pitts. Jay, today we're going to talk about what it's like to be Ryan Brown. And our guest today to discuss this with us is the one and only Ryan Brown.
2: What's up? What's up, man? I'm glad glad we have a topic that I'm an expert on. Yeah,
0: perfect. (laughs) (laughs) What it's like to be Ryan Brown. From the expert, Mr. Ryan Brown, you know, I kind of like
1: I'm at a loss a little bit as to what to talk to Ryan Brown about. This is interesting because most times I know what we're going to talk about, and then it takes a long time to come up with the title of the episode, and today's the opposite. The t- today's title is going to be the hashtag Rich Life, for sure. Rich Life? With okay. Ryan Brown, but I don't know what we're going to really discuss. So There's several there's several key words or phrases
0: that Ryan tends to make the rounds with. Rich. Rich is one of them. It's my famous. One famous is the other. Oh yeah. Well that's not the other. There is there are several others. Give us give us a few more examples. Rich, famous.
2: I you know, I think what everybody in the office gets me on is I call everybody rich whenever they do something. Yeah. Really rich.
0: Anything anything <laughs> successful is rich. Rich. Mm-hmm. Anything, you know. And we could we could also talk about the uh the time I asked Ryan for a referral, you know, to a good contractor, somebody, you know like a high-end home, and I was actually not asking. Not home,
2: not home. And I was you asking said, for myself. Who would you refer to a, a high-end client? And I said, who's the client?
0: Marcy, is everything okay? I kicked the camera. She was mad at me. Okay, all <laughs> right. Well, up. anyway, I think we've got Ryan still on camera. Um, th- this is, is going to be a, a serious episode, I promise. Well, we might joke a little bit longer,
1: but... Well, Um, speaking of joking, I mean, we're talking about your unique aphorisms and Ryanisms that we've heard in office. But I think one of the reasons we want to talk to you is because you do have a pretty unique way of running your business, right? You went from working on your own and now you have a team here at REMAX Premier Properties. People that aren't familiar with you, we should probably introduce. Ryan is a team leader here within REMAX Premier Properties in our brokerage. How how many agents do you have working uh, with you? Just
0: one. Yeah, So He's a small, small team. He's yeah, a small team. He had
1: one that just went out on his own. But
0: I think more importantly, Gabe, the thing that is unique about Ryan is his business is driven very, very heavily by investors. Would that be a fair assessment?
2: You're an
1: investor yourself, too, which is worth pointing Investor
2: himself. So which, which is what drew, I think, the other investors. Um, yeah. As marketing that kind of helped me bring in more, and people started to seek me out a little bit when they wanted to get into it, so...
0: Well, and, and, and I don't want to be remiss. I mean, I, I would be remiss if I if I reduced him to just investors. Ryan has been in the business for several years. He knows how to do real estate top to bottom, residential real estate transactions, maybe some some small commercial that's not been the majority of our dealings together. But, you know, he does it all, but he's found an interest, I think you, sh- you could say most aptly, in working on the investor front, renovations being part of it as well. And, you know, he's been able to inspire clients to work with him, And allow him the trust to manage their investments and play not just a real estate agent, but in a lot of ways, you know, a general contractor, a partner in some cases, um, if not all cases, uh, in addition to, you know, renovating and investing for yourself. So the majority of your business, would you say, is in rentals or rehabs? Uh,
2: The rehabs take the majority of time. Uh, Probably the volume-wise would say rentals because I do more deals because you can Mm -hmm. run those off pretty quickly. I mean, if an investor is going to buy and then refinance and then use that cash to buy again, we can turn those around a lot quicker than we can buy and spend four months renovating and then sell. You know, That might be a six-month process before they have their cash back ready to do it again. But the ones that are looking for rentals, we can buy – and you know, if you buy something that's pretty much rent ready, even if you have to do a couple things, um, you know, usually those minor renovations that need to be done to get something rent ready can be done before the refinance is even ready, um, and so those turn quickly.
1: Gotcha. Um,
0: so he's getting into the Burr method, <laughs> which we'll get into, I'm sure a little bit. A little bit. Uh, I think it was coined by Bigger Pockets, right? Bigger Pockets podcast.
2: That's a, probably a better question for you. Okay,
0: know. well, I believe it was. I <laughs> believe was it rhetorical. was, but it doesn't it doesn't mean that it wasn't something that's been going on for quite some time? It's something that's been given life by Bigger Pockets, and you know, I mean, we had we had Phil and Mally Wonderlic on the podcast, you know, a few weeks back, and we discussed, you know, fix and flip and and their you know teamwork you know, between themselves as a married couple and their role as an investor and how it impacts their real estate business. I don't necessarily want to go like the same direction with this conversation, but I think it, it's important to recognize the fact that we can sit here and talk about real estate investing and have substantial interest. And the fact that Phil and Malley and people like them, people like yourself, Ryan can have such a big part of their business attributed to real estate investing is, is the same phenomenon that allowed bigger pockets to be successful. Uh, they just happen to be maybe the first ones to give a pretty substantial voice to it. Um, I'm intrigued always at the way different practitioners execute real estate because this is such... I mean, it's it's the frontier of uh, American small business is residential real estate. It can literally be gotten into with fairly little invested time or money. Okay, there, there are really low barriers to entry, which which has some unique negative consequence, which we can we've gotten into in the podcast before. And you can literally be successful in almost infinitely many ways. So, you know, whereas, you know, Phil and Malley are investing for themselves and representing investors. um, And we even talked with them about, you know, the potential to, you know, partner with clients and how they had had clients approach them to renovate for, you know, like uh, to spec, to spec to the client specification, like you'll see on some of these flipping shows, they had resisted that. Differently, Ryan, you've partnered with several investor clients or client types, and it's allowed you to kind of spread your influence across multiple jobs. How many jobs do you have going right now? Six. Six, six jobs. What's the most you've ever had at a time?
2: Uh, six. Is <laughs> it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Are you resistant to go beyond that?
2: Oh, I tell you, I, I'm in a situation right now where – uh, it's just hard I try, I'm trying my best to keep everything pretty close together for a couple reasons. I think it helps me be an expert in an area of and what I can do with you know 120 year old house and how to get a layout and what finishes people expect because but it also logistically when everything is within a couple miles of each other it makes it easier
1: That's you know, a good point.
2: One of, the, one of the big questions that people always ask is how much time does it take? and it isn't necessarily that any given day i'm there for four hours but you need to go every day because if you don't you know a closet's framed in the wrong spot and you know things go wrong if you aren't there and so by having the you know the six that we're working on right now are probably within a mile and a half two miles of each other and it's easy to drive to one get out check and make sure what's going on make a list of you know who needs to be called and what needs to be checked on and then on, and so like now I'm in a situation where it's just if I found a really good deal, then we could come up with some money and, and try to get it.
1: But so what you said there kind of it leads right into what I was going to ask you next, which is like how hands-on are you with your own projects, and how much of it do you delegate to other people? And it sounds like you're pretty present during most of the process. Well, he's not swinging the hammer, like, you right? But it you're. I have.
0: Well, I know you have. I, you, you, you put tile down. I've seen you. I mean, I've seen the pictures. He shares. He does a really good job of documenting on social media, which I think we're probably going to get into social media presence here
2: uh, because I think it's a big part of what you do. But, yeah, are you swinging the hammers? Uh, you know, I learned my lesson on the, my very first uh, house that I ever did a flip was a little place, and I tried to do everything. myself. I put the roof on myself. Uh, it was only a little 900-square-foot place. Now, I say myself, I did enlist. I used to coach weightlifting at Trinity High School, so I enlisted a couple of kids that just graduated to help me. Like They had no experience.
0: You let them carry me. the they bundles. of had experience no, I, picking I, I up things and putting them down. The, he let them carry the bundles of shingles up the ladder. <laughs> is what he's what he's, he's going to deny that. But what
2: I, what I learned in that one is that it took me so long, and I was only able to focus on that one thing. I learned my lesson about getting too deep into a project that keeps me from doing anything else. And so now I try to be pretty selective if I do do anything, and if I pick a project to do myself, I make sure that no one else is waiting on me. Yeah. Well, there's there's
0: no way to do six projects and swing the hammer, swing all the hammers, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you no. can't hang the drywall, finish the drywall, lay the tile refinish the hardwood floors and put on the roof and expect to do six projects at once. Like Mm -hmm. you spend, I would guess what 10 minutes on average per day on each job. That's one hour to hit all six jobs. Probably,
2: you know, an hour and a half travel time. Well, and I may, you know, be talking to different contractors that I use because I think that that aspect of networking, if this is going to be a big aspect of my business in the future, which I expect it to be, um, you know hanging out with the contractors and the people doing the work and creating a good rapport with them is probably just as important as having a good rapport with your clients who are consumers because these guys I need them to a give me really good prices but I need them everybody's busy right now sure you know, everybody's building so the tile guys are busy the framers are busy so i can't just pay more so i have to get them to like me well here's so that the tricky I call thing and too when i say i need this done by this day they say all right we'll come do
1: it the other thing is tricky is when you have contractors that you really like who do a good job and are busy on your own jobs. What do you do when your clients ask you for a recommendation and who can do their job? Like do you, you're not going to send your guys off the site to go work on a client's house? I you know I try I try to do, it's funny that you said that because
2: I, j- I just remembered my friend Tracy is like trying to get me to have some people come frame up her basement on a house I sold them a couple years ago and I said, "Oh, I've got good framers." Because she got quoted this price that's just outrageous. Okay. And I said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. And I try to do the best that I can because people will call me all the time and say, hey, I need a plumber. You know, I need an electrician, blah, 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 blah. And everyone is busy, so it is. You're like, I think they're busy right now, though, It's on my project. It's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge. But that's
1: a value add
0: that you can choose.
1: And that, and that leads more back to the importance of networking all the time, right? It's important to have multiple contractors that you like so you're not like stuck with because like what if you have a job and you're, and you're one guy who does it isn't able to do it you know it's important to know multiple people So
0: it absolutely is but you know that goes back even to Ryan's point about being on the job every single day because even good contractors even good subcontractors left to their own devices will act up right so if Ryan creates the impression that he's going to be there every day scrutinizing every single job then they're more apt to get the job done faster, get it done with better quality. I mean, I don't need to make these points for you. I mean, you can be, you can be honest.
2: You can Well, the other big thing is you have to really fight the, uh, the it's not my job attitude. If you've seen any of those memes mm. where someone, you know, I, I saw one where someone left a ladder on the roof and then the roofers just roofed around the ladder. <laughs> you know, and it was a joke, but it's, you know, that type of stuff to a lesser degree happens all the time. Yeah. because if you tell a tile guy you know i want tile all through here well he's just going to do what he's been paid to do or, or going to be paid to do and nothing extra sure um but if you're and, it, and it's perfectly reasonable for if the job changes the contractor maybe wants more money or something but yeah. if you aren't there you know they're not just going to do it and then tell you it costs more because you're going to say oh well we didn't agree on that price and so that's you just have to be present and and watching what's going on, well, <laughs> which that's exciting. And that's the fun, to me, that's the fun aspect of it. Sure. Um, you know, I, some people are successful with a different model of flipping in which they will just have a general contractor and they say, this is the budget, go do this house. And then they sell it. Uh, to me, the fun part is designing the layout and, you know, going there and, and taking something old that isn't cool and making it really cool. Yeah. And so,
0: so that, and solving the problems that come along with that. Because every day Absolutely. is different. Absolutely. Every challenge is unique. Mm-hmm. So I, I you I got a good laugh out of your experience. Your your comment about the roof, the, it's not my job. I had a I had literally had an electrician tell me one time, the, the the vanity was installed, the granite top was on it, the undermount sink was was installed, the plumbing fixtures were in, he's installing a van, an over vanity light. And it was a very small powder room that he couldn't fit a ladder in because of the vanity. So he literally stood on top of the vanity to install the light, had a misstep, stepped in the undermount sink and cracked it in half and told me it was my fault because the vanity was in the way.
1: It was in the way of my foot. I mean, it
0: was in the way of my foot. Like, so, so let me get this straight. You needed to be able to install your light before the vanity was there, but the light has to be centered on the vanity. Gotcha. You'll never be getting another phone call from me. But it, no, this is, this is indicative of the, the investor or general contractor, subcontractor dynamic. It's mm-hmm. absolutely true. All right, let's pivot. Let's pivot real quick. Because I think just as important as how you do it is how the market sets up for you to do it. So you're in Germantown. A lot of people would have said around the time you started flipping in Germantown that Germantown was over. I had a lot of investors that I used to sell property for in Germantown that have moved out of Germantown. They don't believe that money can be made in the way that they used to make it or that money can be made at all flipping houses in, in, in Germantown. And I think that you've probably proven them wrong. And there's, there's, there's a, a special point that I think is very relevant to this. They're just not willing to do what you're willing to do in order to earn that profit. So talk to me about how you go above and beyond.
2: Uh, Well, I have started to just favor bigger projects. Um, And so on Caldwell right now, we are, and actually we'll close Ash tomorrow, and that will be another one that is the same type of deal. Uh, And we're just tearing the entire roof off the place and, and build a second level on it. So double the square footage of the house, because they are definitely right in the standpoint of like a dump down there right now, if you want to call someone's house a dump, but (laughs) I mean, a dump right now down there, uh, you know, Ash is going to close tomorrow. It costs 110. It's uh, 1100 and something square feet. Uh, And it is, it's a wreck, you know, and it costs $110,000. And so in order to renovate that, you know, 1100 square feet, I could make a decent uh, two bed, two bath. Um, And you could sell that, you know, on Ash, two forty, two fifty. But in order to get there, you know it needs to be gutted, and then it gets all new electric, all new plumbing, and by the time you spend that Your money, margin, yeah it shrinks down well what I which is, do is what they were saying you yeah, know it's th- it's these it's are the guys that were buying them for forty and fifty
0: mm-hmm. right. that were that were flipping them, you know, doing less, selling for less, making money and and, and Ryan then they get takes priced it, out of that, Ryan takes it to a whole other level though, yeah, okay, so when you say they're a dump they're you're, you're right um. But but your one hundred and ten thousand dollar dump may not be as bad as some of the forty and fifty thousand dollar dumps that got resold. What do you do, come on? Give it to me. You have to tell me what do you do that no one else does. There's well, a lot. So well, tell us. We
2: we're we're doubling the square footage of the house, and so in order to do that, additions. Yeah. So in order to do that, it is a big waiting process because the houses are built so close together. They require side yard setback variances, and so then that is a not just applying for a building permit with the city that is getting the variance going with planning and zoning and dealing with all that and there's kind of a waiting process and then how many times they want you to change things and so i think that is the thing that most people aren't willing to do you know but you now i can now i can have a 23 24 square foot house and you know, with All the, of a
1: sudden, your margins back. Yeah,
2: the margins are back, and, and I think that we're getting more and more a market down there for that. You know, for a long time, everyone said, "Oh, you could sell a two bedroom down there because there's cool little bars." But you know, I took my wife and kids. We went to Logan Street Market for breakfast, and I started looking around, and we got our breakfast. There's a kids play area up in the mezz- I think mezzanine is like the fancy yeah. word for it, but like balcony. Rich. Yeah. Yeah. They're rich. That's the rich <laughs> and part. And so but so they're playing up there in the kids' player and I'm looking around and there are people pushing strollers everywhere, you know, little young families. In Paristown Point, I think there's something like a thirty or thirty five million dollars. They're gonna have an ice skating rink down there. And so it's not just little bars on every corner that young, you know, single or people without kids wanna be there. The the money that's being spent in there, you know, anytime the people with the real money, the really rich people that dump <laughs> millions and millions into something, you know, us little people can sneak in around them and put a little bit of money in. And I think that's, what's Paris down point. I think, I think that's why you can still make money down there is because it's actually getting more and more. And now there's a dim- different demographic that will like that area.
1: How did you, how did you learn to do that stuff? Was it all on the fly? Like you were, you were flipping houses the old way down there and then you realized you had to change or did you have somebody who kind of told you, Hey, why don't you do this?
2: well i think that we just the very first the very first property that we messed with down there was just small it was like 800 square feet and we said like how am i you know well and and it went against you know we said like we can't really sell it how are we going to do two bedrooms in here with 800 square feet two bedrooms and two bathrooms because you think you know it's important to get an open like the, the things you have to have are a real master suite uh, and so they have their own bathroom and a, and a decent guess, closet. Guest bed and bath. Yeah. And, you need, and so you've got to have two, two. And the other one has to be full. It can't be half. It
1: two beds, be two half. baths, zero kitchens.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, it's just, <laughs> and, and so that, it was just out of necessity. The first one was so small. And then I started to look at, you know, and that was a Camelback. So we added like 400 square feet to that. And then when I sat down and started looking at the numbers, I said, it cost me this much to add 400 square feet. I could have just added 800 square feet and it would only cost this much more. You know I mean? Your your price for materials is pretty linear, but once I've already got guys there tearing a roof off and framing a bunch of stuff up, doing a little bit more to them is not that big a deal. And so now I can add exponentially more square footage without my price going up. And now all of a sudden the margin is back to be able to do these big projects.
1: Well, and not to mention, so the light bulb goes off. Now you have this new way, this new vertical to continue flipping in Germantown. But the other added benefit is you have a lot of older – not necessarily older, like in age, but investors that were there before you that are now saying Germantown's dead and they're, and they're on the way out. And, like, so your competition is dwindling and going away because they're not as creative as you are, basically.
2: The, the competition is, is there, though. I mean, anytime – if you see if you if a house
1: – That's true.
2: If a house gets listed down there, you know, the very first day you will see probably the same t- – you know, I used to run into Bobby Pinkston. Twice a week, in
1: a never heard of him. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would always
2: run into him. But the truth,
1: like- but, the,
0: but the truth is, you're competing with a lot of people that are failing to make money at the old way. The additional effort, and I think what I want to zero in on here, because and you didn't even say it all. I mean, he he rewires the entire house. He replumbs the entire house. It's like house. rebuilding it. Yeah. He pulls he pulls down a lot of framing. He pulls down all the old plaster. He goes back with all new baseboards, all new flooring, new subflooring in a lot of cases. You know, I mean he's doing, he's doing, he's rebuilding an entire house. Yeah. And and the added effort creates the points of differentiation. That's what I want to focus in on here. Because if there is a market, and I think I think probably what you saw and what others saw the commercial investment obviously, but the area is surrounded by homes that are two and three times, even what these homes are bringing now. So proximity to the things that the people want that buy those $500,000 homes, will get them to buy $300,000 homes in an area that's virtually the same if you deliver the product. Mm -hmm. And so, it's really kind of it's really kind of a global lesson here, not just a house flipping lesson something that can be attributed to almost anything well yeah and this is applicable
1: estate. places other than Germantown too. it's
0: applicable anywhere in flipping it's applicable in rentals it's also applicable in representing buyers and sellers. those willing to put forth effort that no one else is willing to put forth find very little competition so he says there's competition, but he can afford to pay more because he has better margins. And when they start to flame out, well, then the prices will back down and he'll be the one that gets the benefit of that in terms of margin on that too.
1: Yeah, with a, with a slew of contractors that know exactly what you want and how you want it done because they have experience working with you on six different projects. And so you've got all of these things that are constantly working in your favor because you were just like the first one there. Not the first one there, but the first one there doing the things that you're doing. I
0: don't know anybody doing it, doing six at a time the way he does.
1: I do like seeing your Instagram stories and seeing a house without a roof. It's one of the most peculiar things I've ever seen. Or no walls. Yeah,
2: it snowed in there. I went in there. I went in there yesterday morning, and there's snow all in the uh, soon-to-be kitchen. So (laughs) incredible. It is what it is. Okay, so let me ask you this.
0: Um, You know, we're not going to keep you too much longer, but this is a real estate agent show. Okay, We are talking to real estate agents. That's who our audience is. So let me ask you this, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend like we haven't already talked about this today. But what I'd like to know is for a guy that has sold houses the regular old way, started off like so many of us started off, just trying to find a way, who has had some success at that and now found a niche – that really, and that's a rich word, by the way, I mm-hmm. found a niche. Mm-hmm. You could say niche and it's less rich, but I prefer niche. Mm-hmm. Rich. Um Sorry. It's reesh. God, gave bad <laughs> I jokes.
2: Okay. I thought it was pretty good. Anyway. <laughs> it was pretty um, good.
0: It's pretty good. Where are you taking this? Where is it headed? Okay. And how far can it go?
2: Well, i tell you, it started off with me investing because that was what I enjoyed doing and I've, I, first got a real estate license because my wife and I bought one rental property and I said, oh, I could have just, you know, kept a couple thousand dollars there. Uh, And then it kind of snowballed. And so now I have marketed all of this to where now I guess this is how it ties into for agents is that I enjoy this aspect of the business. And so I do a lot of videos. I market this stuff every day that I'm doing. And now investors, people who want to invest, have started to reach out to me uh, and they're my favorite type of clients um, because it's more about if the numbers work mm-hmm. than you know finding the perfect home and less emotion. emotional. Yes, much less emotional, and it is. Are you saying you're not a sensitive guy? You can't handle the emotions. <sighs> super, I'm super sensitive, but <laughs> I do. I, I like this. I, I like it. It's a it's a business, and I think that Jay Pitts once said that working with investors is like is like printing your own checks up because all yeah, you got to do when it's time to sell a house, just go find one, find go one, find a deal, find find something where the numbers work, yep. and then call someone, and tell them to buy it, um, and it and it, I mean, it's very simplified, it but or buy it yourself. And so and so yeah. what I, what I did is just you know. Yeah, or buy it yourself, which is the end game—is to have enough that you just buy them all. But okay, so what is the end game? Where are we going? I asked you that, and you kind of dodged that piece. Yeah, I, you know, I I would eventually, you know, want to uh, to be somebody that just has maybe a um, hundred rentals or something like that, and and then the flips. I I don't look at flipping as as more of a means to an end right now, and then it to help me build cash to buy rentals. And then eventually once, you know, I think I'll always do the flips because it's so fun. You know, to, I'm very, I, I am more hands-on and I enjoy it. It's a creative and process, And so, too. you know, eventually, though, I think that the flips will, you know, I would slow down, just have a couple that I was working on and, and, and focus on building the rental portfolio, you know. Okay. And, and I've always said if you, can, if you can make money right now in investing, then eventually the market will turn a little bit and you probably make a lot of money investing. So let me ask you this. What's the next neighborhood? Well, I don't know if it counts, uh, but it's really spreading into Shelby Park and, you know, that area. It's this, kind of the same area, you know. I We've got one right now on Clay, which is directly apart, across from Shelby Park, and so I've been paying attention to what happens. You've got, you know, Wormsby uh, right down there, and it's just kind of watching what happens. Camp with those Street. Camp at Wormsby, you know, south of the park. And then so I think that – before I even start, really, what's the next neighborhood? It's kind of the same neighborhood. It just moves a little bit.
1: Yeah, growing. Um,
2: Which yeah, and it's kind of hard to it's it's hard for me to do the flips that I want to do there because I do like to do all new plumbing. I like to do all rewire it, and that type of stuff uh, is that type of stuff is expensive.
1: Yeah, and
2: so since they don't have the, the margin, the resale can't get as high. No matter how nice you might make it um it's the same house it's just three blocks away and it's not quite
1: as gentrified it's not getting the getting the numbers yet and so
2: and you know i do like the fact that you know rather than going in and and fixing what i have to fix um you know we go in and plaster that didn't look that bad we just went ahead and tore it all down you know and and then because i haven't went into any of these houses and not found a bunch of rotted wood somewhere sure you know, and in and, and houses that you wouldn't have known it because it was actually, you know, the one on Caldwell, people were living in and it, it actually looked pretty nice inside. Um, somebody could have bought it and just lived in it. And we, you know, once we start tearing it all out, now I found, you know, I had a floor joist in the back that had completely rotted through. Yeah. But they had so many layers of flooring, you couldn't even feel it. <laughs> yeah. And so once we started tearing all that out, well, then... And How then, you, and then you have the confidence that when you do sell to somebody, you're, you're putting a good product out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And well, not something. just that. The people that are coming to look at your flip house are probably looking at a bunch of flipped houses in the area, and they're comparing them all apples to apples, right? So when they see a house where there's like nice fixtures and it's that cool gray that every flip house is, but they can tell this didn't get replaced, this got left – In their head, they're like, this was a cost thing, you know, like they just didn't want to pay to fix this. And then they walk in a house where even though the floors might have been okay, they were still fixed or, you know, like different joists, different walls, like the plaster walls you're talking about. When they see everything was done, they're like, this person really paid attention and did all of it. And that might be the tiny little, you know, determining factor, because a lot of those houses, I mean, even no matter how creative you are, they're going to be pretty similar to someone looking out there. Yeah. If they're all the same style too. Well, I'd,
0: I'd probably take it a step further, and maybe Ryan's not really ready to convey this amount of confidence. But I think he could. I think you probably will end up if you're not already, and maybe you kind of are with you know stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit. On where was the what was the one you said a minute ago? Caldwell, not Caldwell. Um, camp, not a camp. We've got one on camp. What do you Caldwell. Caldwell clay like the- clay? All these so, you're ste- <laughs> so you're stepping outside your comfort zone a little bit on clay, right? I mean, it's just a are you little talking bit area wise. Yeah, location wise, like in terms of like resale potential and all that. But here's here's where I'm going with this. Um, there's a model here, okay? There's a model. So you weren't the first one to flip houses in Germantown. Prices doubled, and I mean, like the houses you're buying now are double what I used to sell them for. Okay, double from 50 to 110 or more. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you didn't prove the model, right? Of flipping in Germantown. What he proved was large scale additions and complete Renault's at a higher price point per square foot was a thing. Okay. And maybe, you know, maybe your Shelby park, you know, doesn't your smoke town and Shelby park doesn't, doesn't draw what Germantown does on the other side of the tracks. Not this year. Not now, not this second, but I bet it draws more than you think. And I bet the buyers will see the value. And I think slowly but surely, it becomes more and more viable. So I don't know that I would wait on starting that trend. Like, you could set the trend here. And there's been people flipping houses. Phil, Phil flipped one you know, in Smoketown three years ago. Okay, it didn't go as well as he would have liked. I bet he wished at this moment, he's watching, and he said it was time to mute Gabe Pruitt. I wish he had that house right now. I think that was in response to the reach. He, he just
1: commented again, Tip.
0: Shelby Park, not the same as Germantown. I know that, Phil, but here's my point. My point is, is they're similar, okay? And that house today would bring a lot more money than it did three years ago. He was a little bit ahead of the game. You know, he heard me saying the same thing at that point, and it was more his idea and he, I mean, he, he bought a house for six thousand bucks. He bought that house for six. I don't know. He's going to correct me probably in the comments here. But um, the buyers weren't quite ready for it, and maybe they're not quite ready for what you are. But it won't be long, and you're on to something.
2: I, I, I mean, I, I see just being down in the area all the time. I think Shelby Park is happening pretty quickly, and and there would be a great spot right now to you could go buy something and just hang on to it for a couple of years, rent it out. Yeah. you know, let it pay its own bills and then in a couple of years whenever it is. Let's see what happens. Worth a couple hundred a square foot, then you could, you know. There are
0: still up, so. there are still parts. And and I I went here and you I, I asked and you wouldn't give it to me. Like you don't know the next neighborhood other than right next to Germantown? Like you can <laughs> Germantown you, plus. You can't you can't I mean other than just expanding the boundaries, you're not going to give me you're not going to give me a prognosis, you're not going to give me like a hypothesis. I
2: I don't know. It's hard to Just say. I, I mean, you're not so to... I have I have investors that like to buy over in Churchill Downs neighborhood, of course, and I and it has obviously, you know, traditionally been a really great spot to rent. Um, you know, I question if if that might start. I think that, oddly enough, I think Airbnb is something that is going to help that neighborhood turn into more of an area where people might buy really nice houses and live. And I think that because in order to make money on Airbnb, your house has to be really, really nice. Well, that would be nice because I own a lot of real estate. There. Uh, yeah, well, I'm saying this for you. No, I, I mean, I, I think that it could. You know, I don't know that it will. I think that it could because, you know, if I've got a street where, you know, there's two or three Airbnbs over there, well, those houses have to be really, really nice, interior and exterior. Yeah. And so then now, and that also increases the property value Based off of what kind of income that
0: forces the neighbors to do the same
2: thing for the neighbors to do the same thing or Or sell sell to somebody who will do it. Yeah. And then, you know, and then next thing you know, you've got four houses, five houses on the street that are completely renovated and really nice. Well now maybe this person says, you know, I'll buy this one and I'm going to sell it for, you know, and you know how the prices step up and up and up. And so I think that that could be an area, obviously, you know, there's only going to be more demand for the short term rentals and really nice houses over there if uh, gambling starts to happen over there where they're building that big hotel and stuff. I noticed. And I don't think that the hotel will slow down Airbnb either because right. there are just some people that would rather have a house than a hotel. Prove, so, the con- prove the concept. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't tell you how
0: privatized campus housing has impacted rents in that area. So when students became you know, willing or students' parents became willing to pay more for on-campus housing it bolstered the price of rental property in the vicinity, in the immediate vicinity. It's part of the reason why places like, you know, Wilder park and Wyandotte and neighborhoods like that were made possible. Like, you know, East of Crittenden. I mean, I own a house on Wainwright Avenue. Okay. I paid 29,000 for this house. Okay. It's not in fantastic shape and it rents for eight fifty a month. We pulled up the comps on it. I could probably get 150 for it and it's not in fantastic shape, but it's half a block From a fifty million dollar privatized campus housing project. You know? Not project, but you know what I mean. Like, so all this stuff has has an impact. I get it, you don't want to go on record. Before we You just need a decoy answer when people like Jay ask you for your secret neighborhoods before I before Oklahoma's happening, right? Before we go Oklahoma is happening, actually. (laughs) Before we go, okay, I know you got a lot of experience in Portland. Flipping in Germantown has been likened early on you know, has been likened to where Portland is today. I know a lot of people are, have put a lot of money in Portland. Do you ever see that happening in Portland? Uh,
2: I mean, I, the proximity to downtown, uh, I think that it, it, a lot of it is spurred by your your downtown. um your Brian, downtown, Brian the, Holder the more, your Mohawk. The more and more downtown comes up, I think that uh, all of these neighborhoods, you know, the biggest thing that I hear from people that are looking in the Germantown Shelby Park area is they want to be close to downtown because we have, so much just and since I've been back here, the downtown area has changed so much. Lots, yeah. Um and so the more it does, you well, you eventually you're gonna run even if we keep spreading from Germantown to Showy Park to Smoketown, well now we've run out of houses over there. And so it makes sense that it has to go somewhere else. Um and I think that the houses are, are very similar. You know, I have a, a friend and he is uh an an older guy, probably sixty. And he has been buying and selling and renting out old Germantown houses since the mid-70s or 80s. He bought... He's, he's talked about buying those houses in the single digits. You know, Wait, just, he's
0: in Germantown or Portland? Germantown. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: it's a good so person
2: old like, well, I mean, So, uh, this guy is... I really... So, he's he's been buying and selling. He said, I bought a lot of these houses in single digits. And he just can't believe what we're doing. And this guy owns maybe 50 houses down there. And... Mostly in the same area, owns about fifty houses, and he just he drives like a nineteen ninety Toyota, and he he goes down there to work on houses every day in his overalls, and like he just does just does his thing. But what's his name? I'm joking. But
0: (laughs) no, you don't you don't need to you don't need to. But I mean,
2: it's funny because he reminds me a lot. You kind of compare Germantown and Portland, so. He reminds me very much of my wife's grandfather, who got us started in real estate. Who, you know, th- was born and grew up in Portland, and then, you know, the very first place he bought was a duplex. He rented one side lived the other, and then, you know, bought and bought and rented those houses out for years and years and years. Yeah. And and the same thing, you know, he bought houses for, you know, I mean, I bought one for eight thousand before with somebody yeah. rent- somebody in it, you know, yeah. and, and in good shape.
0: Well, and you know, I mean, th- that by the way, n- Bigger Pockets calls that house hacking. And so just to illustrate the point that that was a thing well before bigger pockets existed, you know, that's these are real estate fundamentals that you've learned clearly from people that have had an impact on your career. Right. But like, you know, fundamentals, right. Buying buy cheap, fix up, sell for market value, you know, buy property that yields positive cash flow, retire debt quick. You know, those kind of concepts never go out of style right so you know spotting it's a luxury to be able to spot a good area or spot a market dynamic like you clearly have and I don't know if you intended to do it or not but um, I think everyone recognizes what you're doing is pretty is pretty cool Um, some would say it's rich
2: (laughs) but the the flipping yeah I mean the flipping is is cool you know but the it's it's funny that's what everyone talks about, but then whenever I try to talk, I try to encourage them to get rental properties because flipping's just, just don't sexier. Make, that's it, the... it. yeah, and it's funny is that I do so much marketing about that. I've had people ask me like, oh, do you also do you work with buyers and sellers? Do you do you do any other real estate? Because you just I, sell you houses, know, I yes, focus on, yes, yes, yeah. I do. Well, I had somebody this morning at Honey Brothers say, are you just doing your flips now? Or are you are you uh, you know
1: selling real estate? And I was like, yeah at least you but get people a, asking that's yeah, the that's the best that's a, problem to have
2: but i, I mean uh, to me uh, i i think like i said the end game is to you know use the flips as a means to an end to raise the cash to be able to to buy the rentals and the very much less sexy but long-term play when you talk to all these the rich old guys life. Well, The rich life <laughs> when, you talk, it is, the, when you talk when you talk to these old guys that have been doing it for years and years not a one of them talks about the 15 or 20 or 30 they made off selling a house it's You know, how many houses do they have right now? Yeah. Yeah. And and how many vacations are they taking this year? It
0: is pretty sexy to think back eight or 10 years later what you paid for something and think about what (laughs) you could sell it for now. Because, you know, I've got houses I bought in 2010, 2011, 2012. And I look back now and I think, pretty excited about the fact that I made that decision. And so it's not sexy now. But it gets sexy. Just give it some time.
1: That's the moral of the story. Well, that's about all the time we've got for... To, I could let you guys go, I know, for for the rest of the day talking about this type of stuff. But are there any parting thoughts that you want to give to listeners, other agents maybe that want to follow in your footsteps? What's the one thing you would part with?
2: Um, other agents? Uh, I mean, if you're out there, first, I think you should invest on your own. I think that gives you some skin in the game. Uh, and that I think it gives you more credibility for regular consumers. But... Uh, it's great to work with investors, um, and I think that as a market turns, maybe slower eventually. At some point, I don't know when, but uh, if you have yourself. a good crew of investors, then you're going to have kind of a steady business there. And so, uh, educate yourself on investing, and then and then market the fact that you are educated on it, uh, and and try to draw some people in.
1: Yep,
0: I absolutely agree. Yep. I, I'm, I'm at a loss. Yes. He said it. He Something said it. Something that's been Perfect.
1: said here a lot, and that might be what the show is really about at, at its core is start investing if you're an agent. So, <laughs> that's what, that's Go what figure. most of these episodes Go are Go figure. About.
0: Like, you know, I can't make the point any better. I have to bring on somebody like Ryan to do it for me.
1: Yeah. Well, if you're listening to this and you're watching live right now in our you know resource, Real Talk About Louisville Real Estate Facebook group, you can always ask Ryan a question. He's a member of the group, uh, and he'll probably get back to you if he's not too busy. If you're just listening to this the next week, though, and you want to be in the group, make sure to check us out on Facebook. It's a private group, so reach out to us if you want to be invited to watch live episodes. We'll make sure that you get invited. Other than that, I think that's all we got for today. Real real talk about Louisville real estate. You're on Resource. I'm Gabe Pruitt for Jay Pitts. We'll see you guys next time. folks.